Welcome to the Autoimmune Wellness Podcast, a resource for those seeking to live well with chronic illness. I'm Mickey Trescott, a nutritional therapy practitioner living well with autoimmune disease in Oregon. I'm the author of the Autoimmune Paleo Cookbook, and I'm using diet and lifestyle to best manage both Hashimoto's and celiac disease. And I'm Angie Alt. I'm a certified health coach and nutritional therapy consultant, also living well with autoimmune disease in Maryland. I'm the author of the Alternative Autoimmune Cookbook, and I'm using diet and lifestyle to best manage my endometriosis, lichen sclerosis, and celiac disease. After recovering our health by combining the best of conventional medicine with effective and natural dietary and lifestyle interventions, Mickey and I started blogging at autoimmunewellness.com, where our collective mission is seeking wellness and building community. We also wrote a book called the Autoimmune Wellness Handbook Together that serves as a do-it-yourself guidebook to living well with chronic illness. If you're looking for more information about the autoimmune protocol, make sure to sign up for our newsletter at autoimmunewellness.com so we can send you our free quick start guide. It contains printable AIP food lists, a two-week meal plan, a 90-minute batch cooking video, a mindset video, and food reintroduction guides. This season of the podcast, Real Food on a Budget, is brought to you by our title sponsor, the Nutritional Therapy Association. A quick disclaimer, the content in this podcast is intended as general information only and is not to be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. On to the podcast. Hi, everyone. Angie here. Welcome back to the Autoimmune Wellness Podcast Season 3. How are you doing, Mickey? I'm doing great. How about you, Angie? I'm good. I've been flying around to the West Coast a bunch, but I am home today and ready to chat about our next topic. I know. Angie's been like a little ping pong ball back and forth. It's been kind of crazy. I just traveled out to the West three times in three weeks, you guys, but I'm I'm ready to do it. Anything for the cause. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so today we're continuing our discussion related to the topic this season, real food on a budget. This episode is going to be about how to source produce from veggies to fruit with a budget in mind. Yeah, so we really wanted to take a deep dive into all things produce sourcing because there's kind of a lot of nuance here. So if you guys have the autoimmune wellness handbook, you will be familiar with the concept of good, better, and best that we talk about when it comes to food sourcing in general, but we kind of wanted to go over it in terms of produce. So what this means is that you have a few different layers of quality that you can choose to buy your produce. So Instead of saying everybody needs to buy the highest level and this is the only way to heal, we're kind of presenting a variety of ways that you guys can plan your sourcing so that you can make the most use of the resources that you have. So first category is good. So this is for those of you who can't get all organic fruits and vegetables. What we recommend doing is to start with the environmental working groups list of dirtiest and cleanest produce. So if you guys just do a quick Google, uh, type in EWG dirty dozen and clean 15, you'll come up with a cute little chart where the environmental working group has tested all the fruits and vegetables in production in the u.s and they've identified the ones that have the highest chemical residue of like pesticides and stuff so this is a really great way to kind of prioritize your fruit and veggie choices right angie 
Yeah, well, this is a way for you to kind of get the max out of the, the foods that you can afford to buy organic and kind of be really strategic about those purchases so that you're not having to spend so much money on totally organic and, you know, utilizing the research to do that. Yeah, so the 2017 Dirty Dozen list, I have it pulled up here. Um, they don't have the 2018 list out yet. I think it's coming out soon. But the Dirty Dozen, so these are the fruits and vegetables with the highest amount of pesticides, are strawberries, apples, nectarines, peaches, celery, grapes, cherries, spinach, tomatoes, sweet bell peppers, cherry tomatoes and cucumbers. We know you guys are probably not eating tomatoes and sweet bell peppers if you're on AIP, but those are going to be the foods that have the highest pesticides. And, you know, some of those are pretty surprising to me, you know, like cucumbers, I maybe wouldn't have thought, but you know, those, those are the ones that were tested. The clean 15 list has avocados, sweet corn, pineapple, cabbage, uh, sweet peas, onions, mangoes, asparagus, papayas, kiwi, eggplant, honeydew, grapefruit, cantaloupe, and cauliflower. So these were the vegetables that were shown to have the least amount of pesticides. So they might be okay for you to get conventional. So some things like cauliflower or cabbage or onions, and you know, these are vegetables that are AIP friendly. I mean, avocados, you know, I buy conventional avocados a lot just because they're on the top of the clean 15 list they don't have a lot of pesticides and also they have a nice thick skin and you know organic avocados super expensive super expensive yeah i do totally the same thing um one thing i didn't realize though i hadn't realized that cauliflower was on the clean 15 list and i've been buying organic so i'll probably switch up because i like to use a lot of different cauliflower in my cooking yep yeah, so in, in addition to the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15 and kind of being able to prioritize there, something else you can do is watch for some sales on organic, local, in-season produce. So it's usually way more economical to buy this way and checking out frozen vegetables. So a lot of times freezing preserves nutrients and is also lower cost. So if you guys are just getting started with upping the quality of your food, some of those recommendations might work for you. Right. Um, so moving on to the better category. So this is like the next step up in terms of budgeting and sourcing. If you can afford some organic produce, you can focus on organic versions of those on the dirty dozen list and round out a variety with the non-organic fruits and vegetables from that clean 15 list that we talked about. And you can shop at your local farmer's markets and look for great deals on organic local produce. If you focus on the local produce, the, the idea here is that you might find that your budget actually accommodates more of the um, organic because you won't have the shipping costs as part of the premium you're paying at the store. And then the best, so if you're like going to go all out and get the best produce you possibly can, which you know we recommend over the long term, the more you can shift that budget to kind of up the food quality all across the board, you would be getting all or as much of your produce as possible, organic, local, and in-season. A great way to do this is by joining a CSA, which stands for Community Supported Agriculture. This is when you pay the share of a farmer's produce at the beginning of a season, and then the farmer has that money to invest in, their, in creating that harvest. And then you pick it up weekly. Sometimes they'll deliver it to you. And then filling in whatever you're not getting, 
there with a variety at the farmer's market co-op natural food store i would also add here that the very very best is actually growing your own right so if you have complete control over all aspects of producing your food i mean that's the most sustainable and it's going to be the freshest it's going to be obviously the most in season because you don't have all the tricks that all the industrial even organic food growers have up their sleeves and um, it's going to be really convenient. It's going to be right at home. So, Right. So great option if you can do that. So um, maybe we should talk about how we source our produce, Mickey. Yeah. So I live in the Willamette Valley in Oregon. I live in an area where I can grow a lot and actually something that I am striving to do better every single year is to become more self-reliant and grow my own food. So we have a big herb garden that we use year-round. I grow lots of greens like kale, chard, lettuces, and zucchini. Something that I learned even when I lived in Seattle in the city uh, when I really didn't have a lot of food budget for good produce was I actually found a chart online that said the the most expensive produce per ounce from high to low and actually the highest cost that we pay in the store is actually herbs and greens so things like cilantro rosemary thyme and then the greens like the the baby lettuces spinach kale chard and those are actually the easiest things to grow and they take the smallest amount of room. They don't need a super deep bed. Um, a lot of them can be grown in pots. So those are things that I prioritize growing just because of cost. Another thing that I do is I pick my own in the summer. So in the summer, there's like a crazy bounty of things like berries. My husband and I will go to the farm and we'll pick you know, pounds and pounds of blueberries, raspberries, strawberries, and then we'll freeze them. And like right now it's the middle of winter and we still have a bunch of frozen berries from the summer. Something else we do is um, we harvest persimmons from a persimmon tree in the winter. And so kind of the flip side. And then I have uh, different produce sourcing depending on if it's summer or if it's winter because... You know, even though we live in somewhere that food grows, uh, it's not totally year round. So in the summer, that's when it's like amazing uh, bounty all the time. I like to go to the farmer's market. I haven't been doing a CSA the last couple of years because I've been traveling so much that it's a little complicated trying to figure out what to do with that food. And I'm considering it this year because I'm not traveling as much. And then in the winter, I fill in the gaps with uh, like a Fred Myers, which um, for those of you that don't live in the Northwest, it's kind of like a Walmart. I don't actually have a great specialty grocer where I live, so I don't have like a Whole Foods or even like a Sprouts or Trader Joe's. So actually, surprisingly, they have a pretty good selection of organic produce in the winter. It's the same industrial organic stuff that you find at Whole Foods. Honestly, it's a lot cheaper because it's not in a fancy store, but that's where I kind of round out my produce when I have to. Awesome. So I also have like a mix um, depending on the season. So in the summertime, I get 100% organic CSA from my local farmer, the same farmer that um, I get most of my meat from. 
and she grows a bunch of different herbs and greens, onions, some fruits. Um, honestly, there's also a lot of nightshades in that CSA, but my husband and daughter can enjoy some of that or we share it with neighbors or friends. Even when I travel, I like having the weekly CSA. I usually arrange with a friend of mine who also enjoys this quality of food and have her pick up my CSA and basically share it with her family, like a little gift to her um, when I'm traveling. And then in the winter, I mostly use Trader Joe's or Whole Foods, and I get a combination of organic and non-organic um, fruits and vegetables, usually based on that environmental working group's guides. I don't grow a lot of my own because I live in a pretty urban suburban area, and I don't really have a space for that. I have done a little bit of um, like pot gardening in the past, um, you know, growing some greens in pots and stuff on our balcony mostly I stick to purchasing from my local farms or the Trader Joe's Whole Foods combo. So that's it. That's my produce sourcing. Awesome. I, I think it's good to just, you know, share with people kind of the different ways that, you know, we get our hands on this stuff. And I mean, I am blessed to live kind of in farm country, but I also don't have a good grocery store right by me. So I kind of, by necessity, I'm forced to be a little more self-reliant. And Angie, I know you have a lot of options as far as stores around you and you can actually kind of leverage that and shop around. That's It's more convenient for you to kind of see where you can get for the best price. So, Right, right. Okay, so that's it for the first half of this episode, you guys. Um, we'll be back after the break with a guest who's going to help us expand these ideas. He's kind of amazing. We can't wait to share. A quick word from our title sponsor this season, the Nutritional Therapy Association. The NTA empowers its graduates to source, prepare, and integrate a variety of well-sourced plant foods as part of a nutrient-dense diet. For example, did you know that the betaine and beets aids digestion, chromium and romaine lettuce can help regulate blood sugar, and that Brussels sprouts have been found to boost beneficial gut bacteria? Through their Nutritional Therapy Practitioner Training Program, which I took in 2012, and the Nutritional Therapy Consultant Program, which Angie took in 2015, the NTA teaches students to use foods therapeutically and focuses on building foundational health by integrating customized diets based on everybody's unique needs. For more information on the NTA's Nutritional Therapy Programs and to access their free 7-Day 101 course, check out their website, nutritionaltherapy.com. All right, guys, on to our interview today. It's just Mickey for this segment. Today, we are speaking with Tyler Boggs, one half of the duo behind the incredible Heart to Heart Farms here in Oregon with his wife, Elizabeth. Tyler and Elizabeth started raising animals and growing food after they converted to a real foods lifestyle, but found that it was difficult to afford it. Not only did they start their farm to produce food for themselves, but they passionately developed a barter and work trade systems to allow those in need to feed those they love. A few short years later, Tyler has never been happier, sharing what he has and providing a sanctuary where people can nourish their bodies, minds, hearts, and souls. Other than being a good husband and father, there's no higher calling in the world to him than that. Thank you so much, Tyler, for joining us from Sherwood, Oregon, your neighbor. <laughs> As you know, we're just kicking off a very focused podcast season dedicated to helping people make a healing diet and lifestyle fit into their budget. We know this is a area that you have a ton of expertise in, and I'm really excited to get started talking to you today. Thank you, Mickey. We're super excited as well. 
Awesome. So first, we know that your farm was born out of a personal struggle to afford this high quality food. Um, We know a lot of other people struggle with this too, and they might resonate with your story. So can you tell us a little bit about how those circumstances led to the creation of Heart to Heart Farms? Uh, Yeah. I mean, tight budget leads to necessity. So, you know, I mean, when we decided to eat organic, I mean, it started just with becoming jaded with the food industry in general and deciding that, you know, enough is enough and and we needed to get the chemicals out of our food. And when we did that, you know, our food bill went up to over $1,400 a month uh, almost immediately. And that just wasn't sustainable. Uh, And so we immediately just started to get creative, you know, and the first thing that we thought of, you know, I mean, a seed packet was $2. And we didn't really know anything. I mean, I grew up on a farm. Um, but, you know, what I, I deployed very early and spent a bunch of years overseas. And so I didn't have a, a much experience personally farming. And so we just got on Google, uh, bought some seed packets and got on Google and, uh, and started planting and failing miserably. But, you know, at $2 a seed packet, you can, do a, you can have a lot of failure and still produce a bunch of food. Um, and the result was we actually ended up producing more than we needed in many areas and then giving that away. And, and, and then people would request, you know, once we started doing that, people would say, well, I'd like some of this and I'd like some of this. And, and it grew, you know, no, no pun intended, but organically. Um, and then we started the farm just through that. So believe it or not, it was, it was seed packets and Google. Wow. Um, but des- desperation, you know, we just, we made the commitment that we were done with, uh, you know, the food industry, and we would do whatever it takes. And and uh, you would be surprised at what $20 in seed will buy. I mean, a weekly grocery budget for us would produce a whole season full of food. Yeah, that that's really interesting. I think a lot of people aren't really even familiar with those seed packets. But I mean, what would you even just like ballpark estimate one of those $2 packets of seeds? I mean, for something even as expensive at the at the store as like, you know, kale or lettuce or something. I mean, how what's the dollar value ballpark for something like that? Just so people can I mean, you look at probably uh, uh, a thousand percent, you know, yeah. I mean, it, it's a it's hundred times. It, it's yeah. super, super, you know, at retail prices, a $2 seed packet will produce hundreds and hundreds of dollars uh, worth of produce at a retail rate, especially if you're talking about um, organic produce. Um, and, and for us, that was, it was really just the scary, the scary piece was we never done it and we didn't want to mess it up. Um, and, and not having the basic foundation really prevented us for a long time from just starting to put seeds in the ground. But really, that's it. It's just starting to put seeds in the ground. You know, my wife is a part of you know, all of these wonderful Facebook groups where she can just take a picture of the plant and it posts to this group and they can tell her what it needs. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it was too you know, in the very beginning, that was critical. You know, they'd, they'd yeah. say, oh, it you know, needs more water. Or the soil doesn't have enough nitrogen. And these plant experts were just willing to give all their incredible advice. I mean, it really didn't take much. It was just the getting started and overcoming that fear of messing it up. I love that. That's so cool. So can you tell me a little bit about your family's personal approach to stretching your food budget, especially in terms of produce? Like how do you make the most of what you've got? Oh, wow. That's a super great question. And that was probably the biggest challenge um, up front. Um, number one was self-reliance, was really deciding that we were going to be kind of the beginning and the end that we were going to take whatever action it, it 
you know, that we needed to to make sure that our family uh, was eating chemical-free. So um, self-reliance and then that action step that we were going to act, even if we didn't have all the information, that we were just going to, to get started. Um, but the other piece that was really important was, was seasonal abundance and eating seasonally. One of the things that we've found is that there, you know, whether it's a farmer or somebody that just has a garden in their backyard, there are there are crops that that overproduce um you know whether it's tomatoes in the late summer or whether it's zucchinis you know in the early fall it doesn't take you know, one bush will provide more than a family needs and so there are lots and lots and lots of people as long as you're willing to eat what's available seasonally and search that stuff out um you know in the in the summer you've got pears and apple trees all down the highway and the roads it's just a matter of finding them and they'll drop far more fruit than anybody generally uses and so if we're willing to, to shift our diet and eat what's in season um, and what's abundant, that really helped uh, immensely as well. Just looking for those opportunities, finding out what gets ripe and when. And I remember every time we'd go for a walk or go for a drive, we would uh, write down where apple trees and pear trees and fruit trees were on the sides of the road mm-hmm. because inevitably um, all you've got to do, know is when they get ripe and they just drop the fruit and 90% of it rots on the ground. So self-reliance, seasonal eating, preserving is, you know, preservation. Liz is a fermentationist, so preservation is a huge piece of what she does uh, in fermentation, but also um, drying and dehydrating um, and and, and then pressure canning and and even water bath canning. So um, preserve, preserve, preserve. You know, when those things are in abundance and you get 100 pounds of apples, obviously we can't eat those before they go bad. And so finding a way to make sure that they last, um, even if it, you can get them to last a couple months, but, you know, ideally last until the ne- next harvest. Um, so increasing our knowledge on preservation. Um, and then building community, I think, is the next step because it's challenging to go this road alone. So uh, we started with one other family. As soon as we got really excited about it, there were, we found an, uh, a really close friend that was in the same boat, hurting financially, uh, but really wanted to improve their health and change their lifestyle. And it's amazing how much m- more energy you have working with one other couple. And instead of just doing it for yourself, which can become monotonous and tiresome, now all of a sudden you're, you're kind of the champion and the cheerleader for somebody else who you know is hurting as well, and, and it makes it much harder to quit. Um, and then ultimately building you know, uh, a network, you know, three, four, five families where we can all keep our eyes out for trees, uh, that are going into harvest and abundance that's becoming available, um, and then eventually reaching out and developing a gleaning network with farmers where you can, you know, the, the, when you've got a team of three or four or five families, now all of a sudden you can be super useful to a farmer uh, when they have abundance and helping them either gather that or get it to families in need. So I would say if I were to, you know, really boil it down uh, as far as our personal approach, it would be, you know, just those five areas, you know, self-reliance, um, eating seasonally and taking advantage of seasonal abundance it's wasted um, preservation building community and then and then ultimately developing a larger network that can keep their eyes open for for stuff that's that's going to waste yeah I love that Tyler and um, something that I'm noticing you know there's a really strong theme in personal responsibility it really sounds like you know, you guys didn't uh, allow yourselves to be victim to not having enough money to afford what you want. You really were willing to kind of like go out and figure out a system in some very unconventional ways to kind of make this work for you. And, uh, 
And I think that's really interesting. A lot of people go to the store and, and we have everything in all seasons. And so it's we're kind of lulled into thinking that we can get whatever we want whenever we want. And we don't really realize how against nature that is, right? You know, yeah. zucchini in <laughs> January sure. is just like, I mean, when you see things grow in the ground, you just realize how, uh, how unusual that is. And so... Um, I think that's really awesome advice and I would really encourage people to just kind of start thinking about seasonally even and how much extra there is at certain times of the year and how they can take advantage of that. That is, is really, um, really smart thinking. So, Well, and being easy on yourself, you know, I mean, this, this desperation was born out of, you know, a victim mindset that had been in place for years. And, and so just because, you know, so we took action once doesn't mean we, we always took action. And I think we were just kind of fed up. We were sick and tired of being sick and tired and we knew we needed to make a change and nobody else was going to make it for us. So, um, you know, it, it just takes that one decision to go from that mindset of, you know, we can't afford it to, you know, yeah. What am I going to do to fix it? Yeah. I love, I love that. That's so empowering. That's what we're all about. Um, so we know that you specialize in some really creative food sourcing and you have some opportunities for people, um, in our community. Um, can you share some interesting or an interesting story of scoring some delicious food for very little or no money? (laughs) I could bore you with probably hours of stories. Um, but you know, when it comes to, I, I think as you build a network in a community, and really develop the mindset, or as we develop the mindset that we were going to do this no matter what, um, doors started opening, and we started talking about sharing abundance with the community, and and that was inspirational to many people. And so um, I had a gentleman call me and said, hey, uh, I've got a guy, and he works in sales for this company, and they sell produce, and there's a bunch of waste, and, and here's his name. And then we gave him a call, and that developed into a relationship with uh, our first wholesaler, which was now deck produce and um and and we just gave him a call and said hey this is what we're doing you know we've got a farm we're feeding the community uh we're we're upcycling and gleaning so if there's anything that you guys ever have to that goes to waste and this was our first wholesale account so we would pick up 55 gallon drums we provided them with uh, 55 gallon drums and they would fill them with scraps and and produce that they were throwing away and we would come bring them back to the farm and then the community would sort through them and pick out anything that was good um and that ultimately you know, started in a pickup truck and then went to a pickup truck and horse trailer and then eventually went to a, to a box truck. But that was thousands and thousands of pounds just because we kind of made the commitment that anything that we had in abundance we were going to share with the community first. Um, and, and that was a three-year relationship, which actually opened the door to most of our other relationships. And we had a similar story where a friend had a plum tree or a friend of a friend of a friend was, I think, actually how it went. Um, but once people heard that we were sharing, you know, you know, gleaning and sharing with the community. This friend plum trees are one of those things that are super obnoxious to people in their backyard because when they fall, they, they get the yellow jackets get all over and then their kids get stung with bees. And so I found that everybody, pears and plum trees, everybody wants you to help with because they drop massive amounts in a very short period of time and the bees go crazy and their kids get stung. And, uh, and we actually were able to go and harvest, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of pounds 
um, of these plums, and, and we did it at a separate time with pear trees as well. And just bring it back, and we, we dried a bunch. We gave a bunch out fresh, and then the ones that weren't super pretty, we dried and dehydrated, and the ones that were even less pretty, we ended up pressing, and, you know, we made the apples into apple cider vinegar and the pears into, you know, I mean, it's, it's amazing what you can do with with a backyard and a couple of fruit trees. Yeah, so. yeah. I love that. You know, the Pacific Northwest especially, it kind of depends where people live, but I feel like we we live in this uh, this climate that produces a bounty whether or not someone is tending or not. So, you know, between the blackberries and all the fruit trees and, I mean, even the some of the greens like dandelion greens and miner's lettuce and just the stuff that, that kind of grows as weeds everywhere, you know, we, we have a bounty whether or not we even put it there, you know? Absolutely. And the same is true, believe it or not, for livestock. You know, we were talking about seasonal eating earlier. I think one of the things that happened early on for us is that I got a call from somebody that had pigs. And in the winter, pigs become super challenging, especially if people aren't prepared. And this person had had a couple litters of pigs and, and they weren't prepared. And then in the middle of winter, they needed to get rid of them. And so they had four pigs and they said, you know, uh, I asked if we could take them, and I said, well, we don't really have room for them, but I can probably find somebody that does. And, and so we created a relationship where if we if we found homes for three, we would get one for free. Hmm. And for us, that was a huge deal. Mm-hmm. And so it just took mm-hmm. some legwork to, mm-hmm. to find homes for three pigs, um, find three people that wanted, you know, I, I mean, essentially they were selling them at, at you know, half of what the market was selling at. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all we had to do was do a little bit of legwork and, and to get a free pig out of the deal was was just super incredible. And that, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of meat. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Actually, Tyler, I don't know if you know this, but we got a pig from you last year. My mom did and she bred it and now we have nine pigs. So she paid for the pig. <laughs> it happens quickly. But all of a sudden, you know, we've got all this meat running around and she's she's going to sell uh, most of them. But, you know, what ended up as, you know, couple hundred dollar investment has uh has turned into thousands of dollars and and you know they're eating all of our waste all of the scraps and i mean you know running around the farm and just kind of taking over so that's so good to hear and i love that that's you know the whole goal is to get to help people get self-sufficient yeah it's amazing how little it takes i mean people they were so intimidated by it but we just decide that we're going to do it uh, and then seek out the information. Um, it, it really is simple. So great job. Yeah. That's super exciting. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I'll tell you how it is on the other side when we're all done with the pig experiment. But right now it's at peak cute and it's they're, they're really fun to have around. So, um, That's awesome. so if people can't afford only organic fruits and vegetables, this is a big topic in our community. Um, what are your tips for sourcing? Oh, wow. Um, well, sourcing specifically i would say you know i mean we we made the li- a list of the top 20 you know um you, you get the top 20 most toxic and mm-hmm. just make sure that no matter what those are 100 percent organic you know and that's your basically the good news is almost all of them grow incredibly well here mm-hmm. like in your backyard it's like strawberries and spinach and apples and peaches and pears and I, I, grapes and celery and tomatoes are on there and, and, and potatoes. But all those things are really simple to grow, and they grow really, really well here. Um, so just making sure that whether, whatever you do, that the sourcing of those is super, super, super careful. Um, 
And then from there, I just really go back to, to question number two, you know, I mean, focusing on seasonal abundance, uh, preserving, building community, um, buying seed for those things first. Yeah. You know, I mean, those are the most toxic. So if, if those are things that you're super, super, um, that, are, that you're committed to being a part of your diet, go get an apple tree or go get, I mean, better yet, here's an idea. You can go get a willow branch and soak it in water and make willow tea, and then you can take a cutting off of an apple tree, cut a branch off, soak it in the tea for 24 hours, and root it in the ground and make your own apple tree. You can make hundreds. We actually just did our uh, starts for grapes and for figs this year. And from tr- trimming, we found one gentleman that was pruning a fig tree, and this was a couple years back, and he just hated throwing it all in the burn pile. And so we developed a relationship with him, and so he would prune his fig trees, and then we would come on the pruning day, and we'd help him a little bit, um, and we'd pick up all the starts. So we just made over 800 fig trees uh, from his pruning of his one tree this year. I love that. That's and super that, creative. And the total, the total cost, you know, if you don't want to make willow bark tea, you can actually buy um, rooting compound at a store, and a bottle of it's like $6. So for $6 you create 600 trees and, uh, and you, and I mean, it's, it'll feed hundreds of families for hundreds of years. I mean, it's just anyway. Yeah. So that would be my recommendation is is start with the top 20, make sure you get seeds for those. Um, Start talking to somebody that's doing it so that you can get a coach, you can get a mentor um, or join a couple of Facebook groups um, and really just put some seeds in the ground. Get some stuff started. I mean, the, the, the most important part is, is taking a step. I love that. Super, super awesome. And, and it really shows you what you can do with a little creativity and a little work starting starting to plant stuff. I know a lot of people are probably really intimidated. And I, and I would say to any of you guys listening that, you know, have some space to grow stuff and you're still feeling intimidated, think of maybe how you felt before changing your diet. It was scary and unknown. And then you did it and it's not that hard. And I feel that it's really similar with growing things, you know, you might even just start with some herbs in a windowsill before you kind of dip your toes into something like you know growing some of your greens or lettuces and then you know planting a tree so and and calling a friend i think is really mm. important as well every one of us knows somebody that gardens yes and i felt kind of stupid calling um but but just saying hey look i'm gonna just putting it out there and making a phone call and saying, hey, look, I'm committed to growing food for my family, but I'm really nervous about this, and I want to be transparent about my feelings. If I have questions, can I call you? And chances are great they're going to be super excited for you and super willing to help. Um, yeah, this is a lot of people's hobby, <laughs> you know? Like yeah. like my grandma, I mean, that's her hobby. Important. Yeah, yeah, I you love know, the, that. Whether it's in nutrition and diet and health or whether it's in, in, in gardening and growing food, having somebody that's a mentor that you can call when you get frustrated, I think is, is really, really, really wonderful. I love that. So Tyler, can you talk to us about the unique opportunities that CSAs present for both farmers and customers? We'd like to help people understand the risk and reward trust that goes into this arrangement. So, you know, with a CSA, people are paying a lot of money up front and that actually really helps the farmers be able to produce that harvest for the rest of the year. Yeah, the CSA, the Community Supported Agriculture concept, is super phenomenal. And, I, you know, my experience is that risk is pretty minimal as long as you're dealing with somebody that has been farming for a while. Um, risk is like I will get less 
broccoli and I will get more cabbage. So if that's the risk to you, um, then, you know, I, maybe that's something to take into consideration. But the opportunity is really for people to save money. Generally speaking, you know, CSAs are a fraction of, of what it would be to buy at the farmer's market or, or even buy local organic. Um, huge increase in quality because you're getting stuff that, you know, is fresh from the land. Usually it's picked that morning because, you know, and it's, there's no preservation methods, no shipping. Um, it's, so your, your quality is through the roof. And then you really get to eat seasonally. You get to eat what the land is producing. Um, and and if, especially if you pick a farm that's really doing soil building and regenerative um, farming, if they're if they're focused on you know vermiculture and you know uh, increasing like my, mycelial mycorrhizal cultures, that you know then you know, the organic matter in the soil is really important. Then you're getting a higher nutritional value mm-hmm. because the plant can't can't create nutrients out of nothing. And so if you're really careful about the soil that's being built underneath it and the farmer's practices, you're getting, you know, in your head of lettuce, you know, up to, you know, five, 10 times more nutrients than you would be getting in even an organic commercial product because it's grown um, consciously and the farmer's focused on soil building. So there's a big difference, Um, you know, with the CSA specifically, you know, the farmer gets to plan their crop, um, plan in advance you know the farmer instead of people don't realize how expensive and how time consuming farmers markets are uh when we we did i don't know our first year we did farmers markets i think we did six or eight of them and uh it was amazing in talking to the other farmers almost all of them like their goal was to break even mm-hmm. and it was really scary because it was so expensive and so time consuming that their goal was just to get the word out for their farm mm-hmm. and they literally didn't make any money so people are spending tons of you know i mean they're they're really paying top dollar at these farmers markets not realizing that the farmer is not getting any of it because the cost to the farmer is so expensive and so the csa allows a farmer to do what a farmer does which is farm mm-hmm. he gets to focus on growing his food he doesn't have to go to the farmer's market he doesn't have to stress about you know low producing crops he can focus on what's really doing well that season um and and really do what he does best, which is which is nourish the soil and and grow crops and and healthy livestock, I as love opposed that. to marketing. That's really great, Tyler. Thank you so much for that, um, and thank you so much for this conversation. I think that this has been really eye opening for me. Um, I feel really excited to get some more plants in the ground this year, and you know. It, renewed in my excitement to just kind of support the local food system and kind of what you're doing. So will you let our listeners what you and Elizabeth are working on right now and kind of where they can find you guys and how they can support you? Oh, yeah, that would be wonderful. Um, So we've got the food pantry, which is for everybody in need. Um, There's no restriction, and that's Good Neighbor Family Pantry, and that's at www.goodneighborfamilypantry.org or uh, obviously on Facebook, just forward slash Good Neighbor Family Pantry. Um, And then the farm is Heart to Heart Farms. That's heart like in your chest, and then the number two, and then heart farms is plural. And that's, again, on Facebook and uh, on the web. And the farm has the Work for Livestock and Work work for Meats program where we allow people to show up. You know, we set aside about 50% of everything that we produce for people to work trade for and low-income families. We also do bartering for people that have old things that they're not using, you know, whether it's tools or firearms and ammunition or anything that we can use out here on the farm um, and just bartering. You know, we currently just launched a a Meat Buyers Club, which was previously a Meat CSA, and uh, I'm not even sure if the website's up to date on it yet, but it allows people to to have a six-month subscription, and it saves them uh, as much as 70% off of retail rates when it comes to meat, which is really, really, really wonderful for a lot of folks that are hurting financially. 
Um, and when we're finally delivering, we're delivering all along the I-5 corridor, so all the way up to Olympia and then all the way down to Roseburg, which is really kind of neat. Um, but the the goal, everything that we do is really to help create self-sufficiency. So, you know, we had a client that just reached out and he was buying rabbits every week. And, and so I just asked him, I pulled him aside and said, you know, look, you're spending a bunch of money on rabbit every week. And he said, well, it's the only meat that doesn't make me sick. And we had a wonderful conversation about his health and kind of his goals. And I said, you know, look, if you just spent what you would spend in two weeks on rabbits, I could get you a breeding trio and you could, I could, I'll teach you how to breed them because a lot of what we do is consultation. You know, I, my goal is really to help people get self-sufficient. So he bought a trio of rabbits and I taught him how to breed. And so he just had his first litter of babies. And so now he's able to supply his family and his community with chemical free meats uh, from his backyard and his, and, and he's no longer, purchasing meat on a, on a regular basis. So consultate, you know, that's the other piece is if people are really serious about this, don't be afraid to reach out to us, you know, send me a message on Facebook or send us a message on the website. Um, we do a lot of consultation. We do basic farm tours for people that are, are really serious about creating this lifestyle and want to come out and kind of see what we're doing. Um, and then of course we do, you know, we try to provide resources that help equip people, you know, everything from, you know, superfoods and tuber starts like Yacon and Sunchoke to, you know, even trailer rental and livestock hauling and, and helping people get established with breeding stock. So, um, and then if you, you know, we, our, our foster pig program and birthday parties are super popular if you just want to support us. But, uh, yeah, go to the website, check us out. And more than anything else, I would say just get started. I mean, this is simpler than you think it is. And uh, feeding yourself chemical-free is, is it, it, there's been nothing that's been more life-changing for me Love it so much, Tyler. Your passion really comes through. And wow, I just I can't believe I'm sitting here like and then you're like, and then we do this food gleaning program and then the meats. It's like you guys are just incredible. You can tell that your fires are lit and that you and Elizabeth really care about your community and spreading this information far and wide. So um, yeah, thank you so much for what you do and for agreeing to have this conversation. Everybody else we will be back next week. I hope you guys are super inspired. Take care. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Autoimmune Wellness Podcast. We are honored to have you as a listener, and we hope that you've gained some useful information. Did you know that we have dozens of informative articles about living well with autoimmune disease and over 250 elimination phase compliant recipes on our website, updated multiple times per week? Make sure to click on over to autoimmunewellness.com, follow us on social media, and sign up for our newsletter to find out about all of this new content. We're either at Autoimmune Paleo or at Autoimmune Wellness on any of these channels, and you can sign up for our newsletter at the bottom of any page on our website. Don't forget to connect with the AIP community by using the hashtag Autoimmune Wellness. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes as this helps others find us. See you next time.